This message is entitled Silent Messages. Enjoy. Daddy God, thank you so much for your presence, for your love, for your favor, for your grace, for all the beautiful things that you've prepared for those who love you and for those who don't love you, but then need to find out about your love. And so, Lord, thank you tonight that I'm asking you to use me to portray the real God, the real Father, the real Abba, to be able to restore your image in a, in a world covered by religion. And so, Lord, thank you. Help me, I pray, so that I may be, to the point, clear, and especially that you may infuse my words with your revelation, with your rhema, with your spirit. Amen, amen, amen. Okay, uh, I was asked to re-preach. Hi. <laughs> Hello. I was asked to re-preach... Um, the first message that I preached, the one on silent messages. But uh, seeing that um, I'd have to give you your money back if I do a, a, a replay, we're going to do the same thing, but we're going to do different silent messages. The Bible is full of them. So, silent messages, what was the, what was the concept behind it? The concept was that Jesus said... Eight times, actually, in the Bible, he said, those who have ears to hear, let them hear. In other words, he, he basically said, there is a message within the message. There is something that you need to hear that is not something that you will be able to perceive with your physical ear. You need to grab something as it goes by. In the wave of in 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 a way of uh, sound waves, you have to grab it, and there's a spirit inside that thing that will minister to you. It's not the word that will minister to you; it's the what, uh, the spirit within the word that will minister to you. The word, or what Paul calls the letter, the letter is deadly, and we all know it. If you want to if you want to uh, create problems between people, put them in the same church. And six weeks, six months, three years, one of the two will leave. And suddenly, there will be a cut in the friendship. And you know because you're smiling, so you know exactly what I'm talking about. You know exactly what I'm talking about. As long as you were part of the church, we were okay, we were fine, we were high. <laughs> Where's the wife? She got okay. Uh, as long as, we, as long as we were part of the church, uh, everything was fine. But the moment, why? Because the letter kills anything that is based on a code of conduct will eventually fail because we are messed up beings. It doesn't matter how churchy you look right now. We are all messed up. And so... Sooner or later, that mess comes to the surface, 
and we have a problem. And that is what, what, what Jesus is trying to say. He's trying to say, there's something within my messages, there's something within my words that you need to capture so that it will minister life to you. Because just, uh, just the word that you read, just the, just the stuff that you read in the Bible will not minister life to you. Unless you receive the life, the spirit that is inside. Like, it's like a container. So, anyway. I mean, I'll go there. But, uh, so, the, um, the messages contain something that can be understood or that can be misunderstood. Have you ever been misunderstood? Oh, Lord, please don't let me be misunderstood. Why? Because... That's the case. And Jesus was saying the same thing. And what I'm trying to say is I'm trying to say that when you go and talk to somebody about the Bible, you might have the, 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 most, the purest motivations and the most beautiful spirit and the, and the desire to, 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 to bless them and the desire to tell them this is the way, this is the life. But what are they going to hear? They're going to hear you're not good enough. Because unfortunately... Most of the time, not all the time, but most of the time when you approach, especially an unbeliever, with the Bible, he will misunderstood you. You're not here to bless me. You're not here to love me. You're here to judge me and you're here to condemn me. So there's a danger in the message, the the, the traditional message as we know it. Okay, we go to church Sunday morning, uh, Andres or whoever stands up, they deliver a message, people are blessed, and uh, if there are some unsaved people, well, that's, that, that's debatable, but I mean, they're they, okay. But out in the street, out in the life, out the way, you must understand that in the beginning of, of the church, the church developed around the concept of synagogue. The, the, the first Christians were, 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 sorry, the first churches were birthed out of the Jewish population. Everybody was a Jew. Paul was a Jew, Peter was a Jew, Jesus was a Jew, the whole blessed lot of them was a Jew. There was only one, Luke, that was a physician. But otherwise, everybody was a Jew. So in that context, what was the, the meeting place? The synagogue. And, and, uh, and even in the, even, uh, even in the name synagogue, wherever you find the, the, the prefix sin uh, um, or, or sun in the Greek, means together. So it was a place where they gathered together to live together and to hear somebody share a message and then to talk and then to say, you know what, I'm having problems with this and that, my rent, my car, uh, my donkey, I'm, I'm behind in the rates, I'm behind in the repayments, I'm this and that and the other. It was, it was a family thing, right? So... Out of that concept came this thing that uh, um, uh, we have to spread the message, okay? We have to spread the message of the gospel. Now, how did they do it? Because they didn't have the Bible. I don't know if you realize this. Nobody could say, nobody could stand up in the year 175 AD and say, okay, turn to the gospel of Matthew Chapter 23 and verse 14. Why? Because there was no gospel of Matthew. And especially not chapter 23 and verse 14. Because 
up until later, much, much, much later, the messages were, translated, were transmitted by mouth, by word of mouth, not by book. There wasn't a book. In fact, until the 18th century, there wasn't a book. The first Bible was printed in 1545 you know, by the Gutenberg um, Press in Germany. And uh, that was one Bible that today I think it's worth a gazillion dollars. Uh, you know, it, 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 it just wasn't there. It's not that they didn't want to use the... It just wasn't there. In those days, there weren't such a thing as a piece of paper. There wasn't such a thing as a piece of paper. It was parchments that had to be worked, uh, papyruses that had to be mulched and then worked, and, and, and then the ink had to, be, had to be drawn from the plants. And from, it, was, it was an incredible... Today, you pick up a pencil and you write. Those days, you didn't do that. That's why, if you note, most probably ever noticed, but Paul asked for uh, Timothy to bring the parchments. It was as if we said, uh, Eddie, please, when, when, when you go, uh, when you come back from wherever you're going, please bring me some paper. It was so, it was so valuable that Paul asks his friend to bring some of the parchments so that he can write. And another thing that didn't happen is you couldn't write and make a mistake and wipe it off and rewrite it. That's it, boy. You make a mistake, you're done. That's why sometimes the Bible makes so, so, so sense. Why? Because Paul wrote like the book of Ephesians. I mean, there's 22 phrases, one next to the other. And then eventually after 22 phrases, go, full stop. So, there was this misunderstanding, there was this. And there was this thing that the, the Christians had to spread the gospel by some means. And they didn't use a book, they used their lives. And that's the concept of the silent messages. Because what they did with their lives, they didn't do with the book. Today, we try to do it with the book. And we mess it up with our lives. And I have uh, listed a, a number of them. I mean, there's, there's so many. Uh, but I've been, I've been hearing, uh, seeing that I, I wanted to re-preach this message. Uh, I needed to have a, a two or three different examples that what we did the first time. But the Bible is full of them. And if you remember, we started with Lazarus. And we said when, when, uh, when Jesus was invited to, uh, for supper at the house of Lazarus, there were other people there, and uh, after, the, after Lazarus' resurrection, and I asked you, do you think Lazarus needed to preach? I was dead. I'm alive. I guess I don't need to prove anything. I don't need to preach. And that is the key of your salvation. That is the key of saying, I was dead and now I'm alive. Look how life has changed me. And if you remember, I showed you my photo, my photograph of 35 years ago when, I, when my face was death, green, gray, green, dark brown, black. I was, I was a, few hours, a few hours away from suicide. And so I was in the, in the grip of depression, and uh, I, was, I was done. I was cooked. 
So whenever people see me now, they cannot believe that I look like that. And the first thing that my wife said, well, she didn't quite say this, but when she saw me the next morning after I came back from the church, she said, what did you, what did you smoke last night? Because I looked happy. I looked, something lifted off my, my shoulders. Something changed. Life came. I was a Lazarus. Not in the physical, but in the spiritual. I was dead. And now I'm alive. Look, and every one of us should be able to preach with the joy that explodes from the inside. And glory to God, if the only thing that we have is going to heaven, I guess that's good enough to put a smile on your face. But you go around some of the churches and boy, they, 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 you know, like Boris Karloff, they, they drag the, the leg, you know, and, and they got the hunchback and say, how are you feeling? Uh, the, the devil is attacking me. And just get off my back. Just, you were dead and you're alive. Smile. Anyway, I don't want to preach about that because otherwise it's okay. So, uh, the, thing, the second thing that we did, we went to, we went to Joseph. You remember we, we spoke about Joseph uh, being uh, betrayed by his brothers, ending up in prison, and then uh, after, after many years, uh, 17 years, uh, his brothers coming to beg for bread, and he's in the fantastic position to, to retaliate. And we saw that uh, he cries to, the, to, to a to a point where the people in the palace heard him. And do you remember, I mean, we, we've all seen some of the Jew, Jewish, some of the uh, Egyptian movies, you know, the Ten Commandments. And, I mean, those were some serious palaces. I mean, the, you know, some big things. So for, for, the, for the staff of Joseph to hear him cry, he must have let out a wail. He must have, re- why? Because he didn't want to forgive them. What he wanted to do, he wanted to kill them. And if you remember, I gave you a very clear uh, definition of what uh, it takes, a little bit of, uh, uh, of uh, um, uh, 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 glue and uh, um, um, uh, a very sick camel. And uh, that's what Joseph wanted to do with, uh, with his brothers. But he didn't do it, and so he cried out, and he forgave him. You want to preach a good sermon, Don? Preach that the Bible says you must forgive one another. Forgive the person that hurt you. That's a, that's a powerful, silent message. Okay? Then we went to unity in John 17. When Jesus speaks of uh, a new commandment I give unto you. It's interesting that the word new is not the word neo, which, which means new, but it's the word apok, which means that different. A totally different one. So Jesus says, I give you, to- no, he doesn't say, I give you another commandment on top of the other. No, he says, I give you a totally different one, totally different commandment. Those were Moses. This is Jesus. Love one another. Okay? And, uh, and that's, that's one of the things that, uh, unfortunately, the, the church still has to understand. Because if there's one thing that uh, we don't do, is we don't love one another. I mean, we do, to a certain extent, within the one church, family, denomination that we happen to belong to. But the moment you walk out of those doors, the people down the road, that's uh, a different story. In fact, uh, uh, sometimes we're happy if things don't go too well 
for the church down the road. And also we are a little bit upset when there's a lot of people going to the church down the road. Because that's the, that's the heart of man. And instead of, and what did Jesus say? The world will know that you are my disciple when? When you, when you sing, when you pray in tongues, when you baptize, when you, when you have, no, when you love one another. So you want to preach a, a good message, love one another. The world shall know. You want to you, you want to reach the world. You want to you want to do what the early disciples did. They loved one another, and that's why Christianity spread throughout the world. In fact, uh, the the Jews began to say the whole world is following him. It was such an impact, and it wasn't what he what he did or what he said. No, it was how he loved. He said how his love touched the, his disciples, and how they spread that thing. Let me tell you something. You heard it before, but the world is not interested in what you say. It's interested in how you love. The greatest influence that you have is what a person remembers or how you treated them. When they think of you, how did they treat me? Did they, did they have... Time for me. Well, we're going to talk about that. Okay, let me go. Uh, then we then we look at, we looked at uh, we looked at hope. Hope the two the two travelers to Hamas. If you remember, Jesus took the bread and he broke it, and they were down. They were hopeless. They said, you know, we thought that this was going to be uh, and, uh, and 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 this Jesus died. So he took the bread. He, he, he opened it and he gave it to them. And I explained to you that in the Middle East, when you give a piece of bread, you give it with your hands facing up. So what they saw, they saw the marks in the wrists, no nails. And when Jesus handed them the bread, he looked at them and he said, no nails, your hope can come back. And that's how they recognized him. And the moment they recognized him, it disappeared because he went from the outside to the inside. And so hope came back. And you want to you want to preach you want to preach a, a, a silent message. Talk about Jesus resurrected. Talk about talk about the resurrection power of Christ in your life. Talk about the fact that uh, you know I might be going through some problems, but hey, Christ in me is the hope of glory. So I'd, uh, he's, he if he if he could beat death, he could beat the stuff. So I mean. And then, then we, we, we looked at the Elijah, and we saw the voice of his presence. We saw the fact that Elijah in the, in the cave, when, after he finished running from Jezebel, he, he heard the, the, the sound of the earthquake, but God was not in it. The, the sound of the fire, but God was not in it. The wind, but God was not in it. And then there's a, a still small voice. And I explained to you that the, transla- the, the, the literal translation of the word still small voice is the, the voice of silence. And that's how sometimes you preach the best messages. Is when you see someone who doesn't need to be told you're wrong or this is what the Bible says so that you can fix your problem. But maybe he or she just needs a shoulder to rest on for five minutes, for five seconds. 
Maybe just a hug. Maybe just your presence. Maybe the voice of silence. The one that says, hey, Hamia, I'm okay. I'm for you. Yeah, but I missed that. Don't worry. I'm, I'm, I'm here. I'm, you know, and sometimes, well, not sometimes, all the time, there is more of a message in the silent presence of someone who says, I'm here. I don't have to tell you you're wrong. I don't have to tell you what to do right. I don't have to advise you. I don't have to convince you. I don't I'm just here for you. And that's, we all know when, when someone leaves us, the greatest thing to do is just to be ne- near the person who's left behind. And don't try and explain why. Don't try and uh, just, just be there. Sound of silence. Okay, so tonight we start. And we start with a story that we find in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 14 and verse 9. And the story goes like this. Jesus decided to go and have supper with a man called Simon the leper. When what life is doing to you gives you the definition of who you are, you've got problems. This guy was Simon the leper. He wasn't Simon Johnson or Simon Van Tonder. No, he was Simon the leper. What, the, what life had done to him was his name, was his identity. Hmm? And, so, and sometimes we go through life and we step from Mario Marchio to Mario the pasta, Mario the, the painting, the, uh, Mario the, or this or that or the other. And that's one thing that we try to avoid. But anyway, Jesus goes to eat with Simon the Lipper. And while he's at, at the table, a woman comes and she breaks a container of alabaster. Now, alabaster is a type of marble that is very common in, in Tuscany. It's, uh, it's so incredibly beautiful that it's transparent. You can put a light behind alabaster and it will go right through the marble. It's magnificent. And it's also very light and very fragile. So this lady apparently had this, this very, very costly uh, perfume in this container. And the Bible says that as you know, when, when you sit at the table, it's, it wasn't a table like that. It was more a table like that. So they, 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 they lied on their side. And usually they would, they would rest on their left elbow and eat with their right hand. And so that's why you would have a situation where Jesus, at the Last Supper, would have his head on John's lap. Not because there was something funny with the guys, but because of the way they, they were uh, seated or, or, or uh, uh, reclined. And so, here she comes. So, obviously, Jesus' feet are exposed. So, here she comes, and she takes this, and she breaks it, and she pours it on his feet. She doesn't say a word. Now, we know what happened. We know that the disciples complained and said, uh, how can this be done? Such a, such a, such a waste that, uh, especially Judas, uh, this could have been sold and I could have 
taken <laughs> and could have been sold and the money given to the poor and this and that and that and that and that. And Jesus says, listen to this, surely I say to you, wherever this gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done will also be told as a memorial to me, to her. Think, she didn't say a word. She didn't preach, she didn't say a word. But today, two and a half thousand, two thousand years later, we're talking about her. We're still talking about her. She's still preaching. She's still preaching. And you know what I call that? That I called unrestrained love. She was a prostitute, number one, so she could have been stoned to death in the house of Simon the leper, which, by the way, was a Pharisee. So she, she took her life in her hand to go and love Jesus. And sometimes we are so wishy-washy when people, you know, talk about the Lord or talk about... And we just, we just say, yeah, well, no, I'm a Christian. Or we don't even say I'm a Christian. We just assume that whatever. But I'll tell you something. You start a conversation with me about my Lord. And I'm all over. The, I'm, I'm, I'm jumping up and down. And I'm saying, he is my Lord. He's my Savior. I love him. People freak out in Italy when I say I love Jesus. Because the word amore, the word love in Italian has got a totally different connotation than it has in English. Um, in Italian, when you say you love someone that is not your wife or your children or your, your mother or your father that is not someone close to you. You say ti voglio bene, which is uh, uh, basically, ah, I get your leaf, something like that. I, I, I have feelings for you. You know, I, I have something I feel, but it's not when you say I love you in Italy, it means, boy, I love you. I mean, what you're doing for the rest of your life, you know, I mean, I just come here, baby. I mean, that's, and when you say I love Jesus, whoo, but you know something, suddenly they stop because unrestrained love, and not, you, you don't go around telling the Huber driver, you know, I love Jesus. Do you love Jesus? No, you don't do that. But what you do is out of your life, whenever the, the opportunity comes, when somebody says something, comes that unrestrained love that makes people see someone that is not just talking about loving God, but at least he, he's got the, the courage to say, yes, I do. I love my God. I love him with every fiber of my being. I love him with my big toenail, with my pancreas, with my gums, with my... I, I love my God. I love with everything I have. I love my God. And this is 37 years after I got saved. And like I always say, I love him more now than I loved him then. So there must be something right about this grace thing. Eh? There must be something right about it. Because instead of... My love going this way is going that way. And I love it because I refuse to be a dead fish going down the river. I'll swim up river as much as I can. And when I try to get to the top, I'll tell the other salmon. I said, you know, I love my God. Okay. So, 
all this time, and we're still talking about this, this lady. Uh, Daniel chapter 3 and verse 27. Now this is, is going to be an interesting one. The story goes like this. Daniel and three friends. Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego. They were part of the group of Jews that were sent away from Jerusalem, from Israel, into Babylon, into, in exile. And uh, what you have is you have a king, Nebuchadnezzar, um, who obviously hates the Jews, but is using them. And uh, he's got this crowd of people around him that the Bible calls satraps and, uh, and uh, the magicians and the, the diplomats and the politicians and the, the everybody else. They hate the Jews. So they're trying to get the king to turn against the Jews so that they can kill them. And nothing much has changed. The thing. Still the same thing. Uh, so they, they, they convinced the, 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 the king to um, pass into law uh, the fact that uh, music is going to play, he's going to build this huge, massive statue of, him, of himself, basically. But, and um, when the music plays, when the music plays, when the music plays, everybody must bow down and worship the statue. So now we know how the story goes. Uh, the music starts playing, and Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego don't bow down, because they say, we only bow down to our God. And his name is not Nebuchadnezzar. So Nebuchadnezzar gets highly upset and he says, prepare a furnace. And because he was really, really, really upset, he says, fire it up seven times as hot as it normally is. To the point where the people who took Meshach, Shadrach and Abednego to the furnace and threw them in, they died. Now that's hot, okay? He throws them in, and while they're in, we all know the story, he looks and he says, wait a minute, didn't we throw three guys in, and now there are four, and the fourth one looks like the Son of God. Now they come out, and listen to what he says. The, the, the air of the head was not singed, Nor were their garments affected, and the smell of the and the smell of the something was not on them. The smell of the fire was not on them. What do you smell like when you come through the fire? When people when people ask you, when people ask you, uh, why you look so down? Do you smell like the fragrance of Christ? Or do you smell like... You don't know what's happening to me. And everybody around you go... Whoa. See, these people didn't have to preach. Remember what happened to Nebuchadnezzar? They turned around and says, Whoa, your God is God. Why? Because they came out, they didn't smell like the, the trial, the furnace, the 
the, the terrible thing that they went through. And I'm not saying... Huh? Yeah, no, well, they, they were toast before they threw them in. Uh, so, um, the fact is that sometimes we can preach the loudest message when we're going through some difficulties and we're still smiling. And I'm like I said last time, it's easy for me to talk from here. And by the grace of God and by His favor and everything, I'm doing okay. So I don't know how I would respond or how... I don't even know if I would preach this type of message if I was going through or if I just kept... So some of you are going through, some of you have just come out of a, of a burning furnace. But what I'm saying is that if you want to preach a message with your life, Maybe you need to stop complaining and you need to start smelling like the fragrance of Christ and not like the smoke that you've just come through. Also because, in brackets, it doesn't serve any, it doesn't have any purpose whatsoever. Complaining and, 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 you know, and say, smell the smoke on me. I've just come out of the fire. First of all, I know very few people are interested. Yeah? Very few people are interested. But it's almost like we are, I don't know what we're looking for. We're looking for sympathy. We're looking for pity. We're looking for some kind of something that doesn't serve any purpose but that we think is going to make us feel better. And it's not. Because the moment that they start agreeing with us, then we come out fighting. Well, no, because... No, it's, it's when you come out and somehow people, they know that you've been through a fire. The Bible says the hair was not singed. That means that I can go through a tr trouble, I can go through a tragedy, and I can still come out on the other side, looking like I'm still the one I used to be. And maybe, maybe I lost money, maybe I lost somebody, maybe I lost, but I haven't lost my God. And so I can still smile, and I can still testify, not with the Bible. Not what I'm doing now that I'm telling you what to do. This doesn't serve any purpose. But if you catch the understanding and you go through some kind of a trial, some, some kind of a test, and through that, you still have a smile on your face, you're going to see a lot of people that will be touched. Maybe they're not going to ask you, how come you're smiling? Maybe they will be. But they will be touched. And when they talk about you, not in front of you, but behind your back, they will say, you know, I really don't know. Maybe there's something into that Christianity thing. Because that woman, I mean, she went through that, that horrible thing. And she still got a smile on her face. 
How do you do that? How, how can you go through something that will floor nine people out of ten and yet come through with a smile? And I always, I always, it always comes to mind the penguin man. Nick, um, I can never pronounce his surname. Anyway, the guy that, that was born without arms and without legs. Vichichik. Huh? Yeah, that guy. <laughs> He's got a little, little foot <laughs> little attached to, to his hip. And, uh, and I, mean, I mean, I'm not saying, I'm not saying, but, but he comes, he came through and boy, is he smelling like Chanel number five. He's not smelling like Camel number five, he's smelling like Chanel number five, he's smelling like the perfume of Christ, he's smelling like the fragrance of God, he's smelling like, you know what, life dealt me a lousy deal. But I'm still here, and I'm still smiling, and it beats being miserable. Doesn't it? I've always said, faked joy beats genuine misery. Anytime. Hmm? So, untouched by circumstances. And again, it's easy for me to to talk about it, but there you have it. You want to preach a powerful message, powerful silent message? There you have it. Next, Acts 5.15. Here we have the story of Peter. Peter, the apostle, that walks and his shadow heals people. So I was looking at this the other day, and I was thinking, your presence can be contagious. I honestly believe that every one of us should be a catalyst for blessings wherever we are. I honestly think so. I think that... If I go and work in a place, in a certain place, that place will be blessed because of my presence. Because I carry the spirit of blessings inside of me. Because I'm, I am aware of who is inside of me. Now, Peter, Peter there's, there's a couple of things that he walks and his shadow heals people. So he needed to be close enough to the people for the shadow to touch him. Sometimes what we do is we go into exile, Christian exile. We only have Christian friends. We only speak to Christian people. We only listen to Christian music. We only watch Christian television. We only go to Christian churches. Well, I guess that's the only thing that you can do. But uh, we are so isolated. And Jesus said, you know what? I'm not asking you to take him out of the world. I'm asking you to leave him in the world. You know what he said? He said, a city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Take your light into the darkness. Take your salt. Not, don't go and visit Mr. Bultong. He doesn't need your salt. Go and visit Mr. 
English brazen piece of boiled four times meat that's totally saltless and tasteless. Take your salt, take your light where he's needed. And Peter, Peter's walking and, and he's, among, he's amongst the people because his, his, his shadow is touching them. And I always say, the other, guy, the other time, this, this guy reminded me, he said to me, he said, I will never forget what you told me uh, the one time. before He got saved at Bosco, but when he came, he was, he was let's just say, not saved. And um, so I said to him, I said, I said, hey, you said, because he said to me, he said, it's easy for you because you, you know, you, you, you're always in the church and everything. I said, hey, me, I got to, you are surrounded by sinners. I got to go and look outside and go look for them. All you do is you go to work and you're surrounded with sinners. I got to go look for my sinners. You, all you do, you go to, you go to, you go to, you know, and your, and your shadow can touch the people. And you can heal them. Heal them how? I don't know. Heal them just by having a smile on your face. Heal them because your, your presence is contagious. Heal them because there's peace pouring out your pores. It's just, you just, you just, you squirt peace. You squirt joy. You've, somehow there's something about you that makes me want to be near you. Uh, we go sometimes, we go around, most of the time we go around with these long faces. Uh, uh, I'm a Christian. You know, come and serve the God I serve. Go away. I, I just stay away from me. I don't want to, I mean, if uh, you can be like I am. No, I don't want to be like you are. I've got enough problems on my own. Just smile, rejoice, jump up and down. Make me feel like I want to be like you. Don't make me feel like I don't want to be near you. Make me feel like your shadow can heal me. Your presence can bring blessings. And you carrying the God who loves the sinner. And that's another problem that religion has messed us up so much. Because we need to tell the sinners that they're sinners and they need to repent. No, we don't. No, we don't. The Bible is clear. He has given us the ministry of reconciliation whereby we plead with you, be reconciled with God. Why? Because God has already reconciled himself to the world through Christ, not imputing to them their sins. So basically, the message is, God is not mad at you. God loves you. No, but, you know, I was told that this and this and that. Well, you were told wrong. God loves you. Here, you can show you. I don't have to go very far. John 3.16. For God so loved the church. For God so loved the Christians. For God so loved the prostitutes, the addict, the pimp, the politician. Well, I don't know about the politicians. But uh, the, 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 the thief, the, 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 the crook, the, 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 the religious Pharisee, that for God so loved the world, 
so much that he gave his only begotten son. That if you just understand what has happened, that you don't have to deserve it, you just have to accept it. The wages of sin are death. Christ died. He paid. Done. You can't pay for your sin. You must die to pay for your sin. No, but then, but then after you saved, you must stop sinning. Then you must die after you saved. Because the wages of sin are not repentance, are not good behavior. The wages of sin are death. Death. Right from the Old Testament. The sin would not be covered by anything else but by the blood of a sacrifice. You try and go in the Old Testament and find me someone that repented. The only way that they could get rid of their the sin was with the Yom Kippur. When they would bring the sacrifice to the altar and the, the high priest would inspect it. And not you, but if the sacrifice was acceptable, not the sinner, the sacrifice. They, would, they didn't look, even in those days, they, the, the high priest didn't look at the sinner, he looked at the sacrifice. And if the sacrifice was acceptable, your sins would be covered for a year. And you check in, in the letter to the Hebrews and you will see how the, the writer to the Hebrews makes a point and he says, they could never take away the sin. Because the blood of bulls and goats can never take away the sins. But him, through offering his blood once and for all, has removed forever the sin from those who are sanctified. And so, I forgot what I was saying. Um, what was I saying? Um, anyway, it was interesting. Uh, um, yeah, uh, uh, yeah. The, the fact that when we talk to the sinners, when we talk to the unbelievers, we must understand that in the eyes of God, their sins have been taken away. However, they can only participate in this thing. They can only benefit from what Christ has done if they accept it. That's why, that's why Paul says in Ephesians uh, um, 2.8, he says, he says, we have been saved by grace, that's what Christ has done on the cross, through faith, that's what you have to do in response to what is done on the cross. You must then repent. Where does it say that forgiveness of sins comes through repentance? Forgiveness of sin does not happen without the shedding of blood. And Jesus has died. Ah, that's where I was coming. Okay. Romans 6.23, the wages of sin are death. Jesus died. He paid the wages of sin. And then Paul carries on and he says, But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. So now the sin pays wages. God gives a gift. Wages you have to work for. Gift you have to just receive. See how religion twisted this thing and changed it around. And he says, no, 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 no. You can, yeah, okay, you can, you, can, you can get eternal life. But if you sin again, then it's not eternal. It's, it's, it's temporary. But it says eternal. Yeah, but it says eternal, but it doesn't really mean eternal. It's, it's only eternal until you sin the next time. Then it's not eternal. Then why does God lie to me and he tells me, Believe in Christ. 
believing the fact that I gave my only begotten son, that whosoever doesn't repent, doesn't ask for forgiveness, no, whosoever believes in him shall never perish, but have everlasting life. Now, you, it, I tell you, the moment that you start looking at the Bible with the eyes of grace, it's everywhere. You can't escape. It's everywhere. It's just that thing that the brain, you call it brainwash, but it's not brainwash. It's the opposite of brainwash. Brain dirt. The, the religion has muddled up our brains to such an extent that we look at scriptures like... Uh, these are my sheep, and no one will be able to take them away from, from my hand. Uh, yeah, but if you sin again, then, then you'll, you'll, you'll fall away from his hand. But he says, no one. He says, no one will be able to take him away from my Paul says in Romans 8, he says, he says, nothing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Not, not up, no down, no side, no ways, no principalities, no municipalities, no powers, no heaven, no, no hell, no in, no out, no nothing. Nobody will be able, nobody. Yeah, but if you sin again, then you will be able to be separated from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And I tell you, you look at this thing and you say, can't you read? Can't you read? It says we are seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Not we will be, we are. And if we are, what is the only way that you can get off the seat? If Jesus gets off the seat, then you get off the seat. Otherwise, you are seated in Christ Jesus at the, at the right hand of the Father, which... Which means the righteousness of God in Christ. And what you are, you will always be. Forever and ever, amen. So, contagious presence. Ooh, hallelujah. Okay. Acts 3 and verse 4. Now, this is still Peter. I'm using Uncle Pete because Pete is, 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 a, is a piece of work. I love him because he is so uh, opposite of a religious preacher. He goes out and he starts preaching and he tells the guys, you're a bunch of assassins. You are murderers. You have murdered. You've murdered the Son of God by hanging him on a tree. They put him in jail. Then, then, then they beat him up and then they let him out. I said, now don't go and preach. About this guy. First verse. It doesn't even wait for one verse. And so Peter went back into the temple and went to preach Christ. I love you. I mean, there, there is a man that understood that it's not so much what you say or what you read, but just the fact that you are in the temple. And the people look at you and say, weren't you in jail? Yeah, but you see, at midnight an angel <laughs> opened the door. Here I am. Do I need to say anything else? <laughs> I mean, I can. I can preach. But hey, I was in the jail. And now I'm not in the jail anymore. You're talking about a silent message. All you had to do was show up. And people would say, how come you're here? You're supposed to be in jail. I mean, people die for letting prisoners escape. So, 
this is Peter and John. I love this. I saw it two or three mornings ago. Peter and John, are, and they go in doing their business, and they go into the temple. Okay, and outside the temple, there's a beggar. There's a beggar who's been there for a long time, and he's be, and he's being laid at at on the steps of the temple every morning and taken away every night. Now Peter and John. At the hour of prayer, go to the temple, and they go past him. And he, the beggar, looking at them, asked them for alms, asked them for money. Now listen, Peter, fastening his eyes upon him with John, said, look on us. And ask you, this is, this is bad. But you can handle it. Do you have time for the beggar that asks you, look at me? Or do you just shrug your shoulders and walk on? Because you want to preach a silent message. You stop. Peter and John stopped. They didn't have to. They were, they were going to do the religious thing. They were going to pray. Don't interrupt me. I'm going to pray. But you see, this man needed them. And so they gave him a little piece of their life. Why, how do I say that? Because life is equated to time. And time is equated to life. Jesus said... No one has greater love than he who gives his life for his friend. Many, many years ago, when I read the scripture, I asked the Lord, I said, what is life? Because let me tell you something, Lord. I'm a good man. I'm a good father. I'm a good husband. I'm a reasonably good citizen. I would give my life for my wife. I would do that. For my children, I don't know. But with all due respect, Peter Berger, I wouldn't give my life for you. As much as I love you, and I mean, would you give your life for me? Now, come on, be honest. Maxwell Michukop. Yeah, man. You wouldn't. It doesn't matter how good you are. You will not give your life for your friend. You will give it for your wife. You will give it for your children. You will give, but you won't give it for your... So I said, God, you, surely you mean something else. You don't mean give your life in the sense of dying. And I'll never forget how the Lord told me. I asked him, the question, and he said to me, he said, what is life? And I said, ah, come on, seriously, you asking me what's life? Are you kidding me? What do you mean what's life? And he said, it's time. Life is time. No more, no less. You have, I don't know how many thousands of days in your life, and that's it, boy. That's it. Right now, let me tell you what I'm doing with you. What am I doing with you? 
I'm loving you. I'm loving you because I don't have to be here. I'm loving you because I'm giving you my life. I'm giving you my time. I could be home watching some stupid NCIS or whatever it is um, with my feet up on the couch and sipping a, a glass of red wine. But I'm here. Why? Because I love you more than I love that. So I give you my what? My life. My time. And that's what they did. What they did is they stopped. They could, have, they could have walked on. Oh, it's so easy to walk on. It's so easy. The guy stinks. You know the guy's going to take your money and, and buy some drinks. But you can stop. And you honestly think that the one rand that you have in your pocket is going to mess up his life because he's going to use it and drink it? Or if you just stop for a second and you take out that one rain and you say, you know what? Jesus loves you. Pat, pat. And off you go. You don't have to do what Peter and John did. Look on us in the name of Jesus Christ. Rise and be healed. It would be very nice, but that is a little bit extreme. I don't think that kind of thing happens these days. Otherwise, we would see it. But what you can do is you can stop. And you know what? Isn't that amazing? That the one who gives love eternally gave life eternal. Only Jesus could give his life, which is eternity, because his giving of a life eternal meant love eternal. But that's it. Um, you want to love your wife? Listen to her when she talks to you. Not you, the other guys, the, the other guys that didn't come tonight. You want to love anybody? Stop. Give them your time. Because that's how, that's how you love. No greater love is anyone than this than he who gives his life for his friend. Just stop and listen. Let me tell you something. When you give somebody some money, what are you doing? What are you doing? You're giving them your life. Why? Because you spent time earning that money. So when you give them that money, you give them life, you're loving them. Everything is linked to your life, to your time, and to your love. And that's why these two... When they stopped, okay, the guy got healed and everything, but they preached a powerful message. They say, you know, they could have said, who the heck do you think you are? We are apostles. Excuse me? I am going to be the first pope. And John over here, he is going to look after the mother of Jesus in a, in a place called Ephesus. And people are going to come from all over the world to visit the house. And they're going to light candles. We are important people. We don't have time for you. Think about it. Think how much a person is willing to give you his time or her time. And you will know how much they love you. Amen.
Okay, this is the last one. All right. And um, this is just very simple. This is what Paul says in Romans 2, 4. He says, Do you despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance, and long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? And basically, it's very simple. Bottom line, you bring the goodness of God into play, and, you, and you're preaching the most powerful sermon, message that you can preach. Uh, and, it's, and it's simple. And uh, it's not difficult to explain. It's, it can be a hug, it can be some money, it can be a smile, it can be uh, a word of encouragement, it can, it can be a lift, it can be... Uh, it's, everything is, you know, we've made it so complicated. We have to preach. We have to tell them this was the, the scripture in Matthew 17, 14 that says that, uh, no, forget about that. You don't have the Bible. Forget about the Bible. You don't have it. You are the Bible. You are the ones that Paul said, you have read my letters, not by hand, but you, have, you are my letters in the heart. I should be an epistle of God written to each one of you. And you should be able to read me and say, you know what? God is good. In the job, in the office, in the factory, in the, in the, at home, at school, wherever you are, whatever you're doing, the goodness of God leads men to repentance. And I close with Peter again. Peter is, is fishing. And um, the whole night he fished and didn't catch anything. And Jesus, we know the story, he says, um, he says, lend me your boat. Peter could have said no. But he says, okay. And he uses the boat. And then Jesus said, cast your net on the other side. There's a beautiful, beautiful story about the fact that he didn't say the nets. He, they just finished cleaning the nets. The nets, uh, long story, but anyway. So he says, cast the net on the other side. And Peter says, you know what, preach? I'm a fisherman. You're a preacher. Why don't you preach and I fish? I've, I've worked the whole night and we haven't caught a sardine. Never mind anything else. I mean, I have just finished cleaning my nets. And you want me to throw them back? Now, here, what happens is that instead of taking the nets and throwing them in, he takes the net, the one net that he hadn't cleaned because it was second hand, because when he throws it in and the fish comes in, it breaks. So he says, he obeyed, but sort of. So the Bible says he does that and they start breaking the come, other people come and they're getting blessed and they pull up all these fish and everything. And then immediately Peter, what does he do? He falls at the feet of Jesus and he said, depart from me, for I'm not good for you. He repents. The goodness of God leads men to repentance. Jesus didn't 
rebuke him and say, I told you to throw the net, the, the good ones. In the, in the, that's why it's breaking, you idiot. Come on. I mean, I'm, I'm trying to bless you and you treat me like this. You respond with doubt. You respond with, come on. I tell you, no, 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 no. He just lets him catch the, all the fish. The, nets break, the net breaks, but catches the fish. So the goodness of God leads. And then, no wonder that the Bible says in the Gospel of Luke, he turned around, and, they, and, uh, and, and John, and, and James, and, and Peter, and all the other fishermen, drop everything they were doing, and they followed him. Now, you try that in Hansby. You try and rock up there, and tell them, okay, follow me. But I'll tell you something, if before you say, follow me, you fill their boats with fish, they will follow you. They will follow you. The goodness of God leads men to repentance. Amen.